This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiecki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiecki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome back to The Science of Magic, a program combining the science and magic of today's leading topics to promote evolutionary thought and discover new solutions. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring resilience as a superpower. From junior high through my first college degree, I lived in boarding schools and dorms in Switzerland. I was on the ski team and ski patrol in the winter and enjoyed mountain climbing and backpacking during the summer months. This gave me the unique opportunity to be around people from various nationalities and walks of life in extreme conditions. During this time, I observed that regardless of age, nationality, or gender, some people just kept on going no matter the circumstance, and others folded at the first sign of stress. This was valuable information. You don't want to have a folder on the other side of a climbing rope when you fell while learning to climb. I've always wondered why some people seem to have that magical special something enabling them to hyperperform and bounce back from injury, dig deep when they're at the end of their endurance and find the strength from some mystical somewhere to succeed against all odds while others, try as they may, just can't seem to rally. Where does this magic come from? Is one born resilient or is it a skill that can be acquired? What wonders could we achieve if we could access that mysterious well of inner strength? With us this hour to unravel the mystery of resiliency is Nancy Maxfield-Wilson, the founder of Max Performance, LLC, a resilience-building company. She has a uniquely blended background in science, change leadership, and performance athletics. Nancy was a chronically injured competitive athlete who had to learn resilience herself. She now empowers busy leaders by maximizing performance, wellness, and happiness through the science of mind-body system. Nancy worked as a scientist, leader, and change consultant in the medical device and biotech industries. 
her website, mymaxperformance.com. Nancy, thanks so much for joining us on The Science of Magic. Thanks so much for having me, Gwilda. I'm very excited to be here. This should be a fun time. It's a, it's a great topic. And in fact, so we're all on the same page. Would you mind defining resilience for us? Sure. Um, I did actually love your introduction uh, and I love the fact that you said it was a skill that could be acquired. But but basically, I would say uh, we'd, we'd consider it to be bouncing back from adversity at, at its most basic level. Uh, but even better, uh, as we develop resilience skills, it can become uh, transforming adversity into opportunity at a much higher level. Ooh, that sounds, sounds like, like you say, taking it to a higher level. How, how did you become interested in it? Uh, well, I, uh, as you mentioned, I do have a unique background in uh, science, performance, athletics, and uh, leadership. But uh, really, uh, I, as I became injured early on, I, I became very tuned into my body and what it could do at any given time and what it couldn't do. And because I was always injured and I spent a lot more time with the trainers than actually uh, performing the sports, uh, I had to come up with some uh, new methods to get myself to go back in and perform and to kind of surmount those injuries. And those really continued uh, as I continued playing sports all the way through college. And uh, through the rest of my life, really, uh, I've focused on what does it take, as you said, to, to come back and endure and, and uh, make it through trials? And what's the difference between people that fail and people that succeed? And especially as we age, this is critical. How do we become resilient? We're all going to have challenges, but how do we continue to grow? Yeah, what does determine whether a person is resilient or not? Mm -hmm. There are a number of factors that have been studied and isolated, uh, but uh, and and uh, some of those things are uh, around mindset. And there's a fabulous book out uh, by Carol Dweck. It's been out a few years, and it's called uh, Mindset. And uh, people that are resilient tend to view failure as a learning opportunity, whereas people that are less resilient and, and fail tend to see that failure as defining them. And so there have been a lot of uh, interesting research studies on that. Uh, there are other components are really managing stress is critical to resilience, and that's uh, critical because it opens up the capacity to develop the mindset, to de develop your purpose and values and uh, the connectedness to things larger than yourself, uh, just that capacity to do all these things that, that make us resilient. And we're actually naturally very resilient as human beings. We've evolved that way. So there's a lot of great reasons why we've got this in terms of being resilient, but there is a lot of pressure from our environment uh, around creating stress. It's, it seems to me like, um, you know, I, mean, I like you talking about a mindset, because it seems like once we start to identify with our performance, we start to kind of go into a victim place and judge against ourselves. Yeah. Yes, that's a wonderful uh, a point, Gwilda, because uh, that victim mentality versus another characteristic of highly resilient, successful people is they believe that they are accountable and largely in control of their own success in their life. And it, so as I said, you know, bad things happen to good people all the time, 
But how we respond to that adversity defines us. They've done some fascinating studies with POWs and concentration camp victims uh, and looked at how those few people that did survive, what was the difference? And what they found was mindset. Uh, all those people could control was their own mindset, and yet they made it through. And they not only made it through, but they made it through in a lot of cases and became great leaders as a result. You know, another thing that I've heard has to do with, like you're talking in POW and this sort of thing, is the ability to not be trapped in your own body. You can be there, but you can also think outside of the body, if you will. Uh, have you played with that at all? Say more to me about that, Gwilda. Well, you know, there's a shamanic skill whereby you can either be in your body or you can be in your body, but your awareness can go wherever you like. And they've actually linked in studies that the people that survived concentration camps being locked in little coffin-type spaces and whatnot were the ones that could actually journey, if you will, outside of their physical body um, and not feel restrained or trapped by it, as well as being present with it. Ah, I see. I see what you mean. Uh, that is not something I've studied per se, but, but I, what I will say is having had all these injuries, one of the ways that I have been able to surmount that and still been capable of performance is by isolating myself from the pain when it has happened. Um, and I would say that's probably very similar to what you're talking about is having the capacity to just take myself outside of the physical pain, um, in order to be able to perform both intellectually and physically. Yes, that, that is one, one facet of it for sure. And how useful is that, right? Yes, yes. So I, I can very much relate to what, what you're speaking of, and, and particularly for that application, but it makes total sense to me. You know, for better or for worse, and though I'm undersized and female, I've always been one of the resilient types. And once uh, I was on a particularly grueling search and rescue and a coworker asked me, how do you do that? And, you know, the only way I could explain it is I just drop in and go, kind of like shifting gears. What's going on there? Is that common? Mm -hmm. uh, I think being able to be present and focused is, is very much uh, the, some of the skills that we teach our clients uh, for developing resilience. And uh, being present and focused on the current mission uh, allows you to really be in that zone. And I experienced that zone as an athlete physically to start with. But what I found is you can flip into that zone either physically or mentally or both. And um, it's a place where you're really functioning almost perfectly and synchronously uh, in terms of what you need to do, what the universe is offering you. Everything seems to be hitting on all cylinders. It sounds to me like that's what you're talking about, Gwilda. Yeah, and you know, the other thing I notice about when I go into that zone, as you call it, is you wouldn't think so, but sometimes my heart rate and breathing actually drop when you'd think it'd go the other direction. It's like everything gets more efficient. Is that also part of it? I would agree with that, yeah. I, I think that... Um, uh, that's still something I actually actively practice while working out and lifting. And I think part of that is you're actually stimulating with, with that regular deep breathing, you begin to stimulate the vagus and the parasympathetic nervous system. Well, that's interesting you say that because one of the first things I do when I feel like I have to drop into that place is take a really deep breath. Yes, yes. And that's something, that's a tool anyone can learn to use at any time for any reason. 
uh, one of the things that we really focus on is teaching people those kind of simple tools that kind of cross uh, the mind-body system and, and produce performance, you know, with a very simple trick like that. It's, it's amazing how we, we live in these bodies all our lives and really don't understand them or use them to their optimum, do we? Not at all. I, I love that idea because that is really something I'm passionate about. And, and I think what really makes the model that we use different because from, from what's out there for resilience because it's a mind-body-spirit model. And it really uh, entails getting to know your body and knowing your, how your body can support your emotional and intellectual function. And it's huge because it is a single system and people, people need to understand it and learn to work with their biology, not against it. Mm-hmm. That's very mm-hmm. exciting. It, it is, isn't it? I mean, I, you don't have to be a scientist to figure it out. <laughs> just start paying attention you are right you're absolutely right <laughs> so um, we're going to have to go into a break in a little bit here but on the other side of the break I'd really like to get into this body-mind connection and, and how you discovered it and what portion it plays in this you game? sure, absolutely <laughs> uh, What is it a large portion of what you do the body-mind connection? Yeah, it really is. The, the thread runs through everything. It's part of uh, it's part of the practices that I teach people, and I also like to teach people some of the science behind it. Uh, and and I think I would say also because I was a scientist for a very long time, uh, everything that I do is really rooted in the science. Mm-hmm. In uh, science is great. Well, it is time for that break. Nancy and I will return shortly, so don't go away. You're listening to the Science of Magic. Our current episodes are internationally broadcast and aired daily through the Exxon Broadcast Network under the excellent direction of our master producer, Rob McConnell. You don't want to miss Rob's great show, The Exxon Radio, also aired on xzbn.net. In service to our listeners, prior Science of Magic episodes can always be accessed free of charge on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. 
For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our special guest this hour is Nancy Maxfield-Wilson, the founder of Max Performance, LLC, a resilience-building company. Her website, mymaxperformance.com. As promised, Nancy, we were talking about learning to work with your biology, not against it. Would you mind going into that a little deeper? Absolutely, Gwilda. Um I mean, the first thing really to know is that our body's natural state is balance. And so uh, some of you may have heard the term homeostasis before. It's our body's amazing ability to restore that balance, things like your your temperature, your blood pressure, and breathing. Uh, We are virtual machines of adaptability. As you sit here listening to this broadcast, there's thousands of processes running seamlessly in the background uh, all kinds of genes being transcribed and interacting. And um, uh, we need to be able to leverage this. Um, so ba- balance is our natural state, but it's also true that chronic stress can alter that balance. And the body in particular repairs itself uh, more slowly when you're under stress, either physical or emotional or both. Is that because you're in fight or uh, flight you- and, and all the main systems are on survival versus function? Yes, that those stress hormones and the neurotransmitters can actually over time begin to damage the resiliency of our body. And uh, they, it affects our immunity, but it also affects all, virtually all of our organ systems. Uh, and it actually not unmanaged chronic stress is linked to the six leading causes of death, and it's responsible for three-quarters of the doctor's visits in this country. Yeah, and boy, stress just seems to be rising, too. It's, it's ridiculous. Right. So, so really, uh, the essential strategy there is not to try and uh, avoid all stress because it's not really possible, but we need to learn to cope more successfully with it, and that's really, there's many ways of doing that. And what, what I find with clients is not always that we practice work for everyone, but everyone finds their own unique ways that, that work for them. So there's a lot of hope there in your body. How much of the way we respond to stress has to do with our history and our judgments? It has a lot to do with our experiences, our past experiences, as well as some automatic negative thinking patterns that are wired into our brains. And uh, lest you think that those are a bad thing, those things are really there and have evolved to protect us, and that's how we've survived all these years of essentially being animals without any natural weapons. You know, we don't have fangs, we don't have claws, we, we don't run very fast, uh, but we do have our brains, and uh, we do have very well-developed self-protective mechanisms. Uh, so those automatic negative thoughts uh, our natural responses when we feel threatened. And the thing that's unique about humans, again, is that even though we have those negative thoughts and they, they, we may be in environments where they're no longer serving us to have those thoughts, we can learn to recognize those thoughts and reroute them. And so that's what's really special about humans and can 
uh, that's another way in which we really develop resilience. So it sounds to me like you're also addressing PTSD. Yes. Um, I think that uh, uh, there's an excellent match with PTSD. Um, that is not my particular specialty, though. Okay. So um, the PTSD, or post-traumatic stress disorder, is where you um, superimpose the events on the past onto the present and respond as if it's happening clear and present danger. How can you reroute that? Well, I believe that as with everyone else, it's a matter of teaching yourself to recognize when your body is telling you that, that you're, you're having that. It's a quality control device for your emotions, essentially. And so when you can start to recognize the physical symptoms of fight or flight or stress, uh, there's a number of tools we can use to reroute that response. But the first action is really recognizing what's going on. So something I teach uh, about is really the idea that you've got your lizard brain and your limbic system and that older primitive protective system, uh, that's part of your brain. And then the more recent evolutionarily evolved part of your brain, the neocortex, uh, that allows you to make complex decisions, to plan, to have compassion, uh, and uh, uh, carry out a lot of other executive functions. Those two systems are actually completely opposed to each other. And so when you're in fight or flight and you begin to, uh, to kind of dissemble that into understanding what your body's doing and label your emotions, you actually pull yourself back into executive function and restore your ability to think. And so that's, that's a, an awesome tool for us to use to restore our function and stop that uh, fight or flight lizard brain response going on. So, so that like could you, be very effective. Sounds like you're talking about having, having a witness on deck. Absolutely. Wow, what a great phrase that is, Gwilda. I love that. Because if we, if we can sit back and say, okay, this isn't about right now, what is about right now? But if we just respond, then we're in the lizard brain. Yes, exactly. Aha, uh-huh, gotcha. Let's talk about fear and panic. Um, I've personally found that when I drop into that zone, I don't experience either one, fear or panic. It doesn't matter what's going on around me. Is that the function of being in that zone, or, or what, what's going on with that? Uh, I call that zone, I call it optimized functioning. And um, I think that the exceptional clarity that comes with it uh, really puts you completely into executive brain. And uh, what I, I don't honestly understand the mechanics of how that syncs with the body when you're in the zone. Um, and I'm not sure I've ever seen any studies on that. Um, That'd be a fascinating one. How, absolutely. And that's how I experience it as I'm purely in executive function, but I also have this feeling of exhilaration and that everything is working. Time slows down. And these, are, these things that I'm describing are actually, I think, universal experiences of the zone. Uh, time slows down. You can see everything clearly. There's enough time to do what you need to do. And you don't have any feelings of indecision or lack of clarity. You, you just go do it. The other thing that I've seen, I've seen in emergency workers and having been in search and rescue myself, I've watched it a lot, is some people are able to set aside their emotions to do what they need to do, 
but then have kind of like a mini crash at the end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what's the difference there? What's going on? Uh, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. I've just observed it, that some people can, mm-hmm. you know, set their emotions aside and deal, but then afterwards they kind of fall mm-hmm. apart, and others just never seem to revisit it. I think my personal experience of that um, after a major athletic event is just that um, as the zone begins to fade and as those beneficial neurotransmitters kind of start to wash out of your system, you may find yourself reacting as normal function returns. Oh, and you okay. kind of come down out of that high. Um, there's an interesting phenomenon. So uh, I'm someone who's always worked out a lot in addition to being in sports. And uh, one thing I noticed a few years ago when I would speak with people about working out, I started to notice the identical physiological responses as if I were actually working out. Mm. And I would feel like I was in the zone as I was talking about it. Um, And so I think what's amazing about that is it's a purely intellectually generated high. So you're actually changing your body chemistry by uh, connecting with the experience just mentally rather than physically doing it. Absolutely. You know, and what, what brain researchers have seen is that uh, when you're activating a memory like that, all the same neurons are lighting up as if you're actually having the experience. And so I believe that's what's happening to me. And as a result, I'm stimulating biochemical changes in my body simply by thinking about it and talking about it. So the, the, the dark side of that is if we think and talk about past stress and past trauma, the same function will happen, won't it? Absolutely. As you mentioned, it's the PTSD phenomenon. It's just a different side of it. So we have to become more conscious of what we're, what we're thinking about, apparently. Yes, yes. So there's another interesting study that looked at how much of our uh, cognitive function we're actually aware of. <laughs> and this was actually uh, published in Scientific American a few years ago. And the answer is basically 90% is below the waterline. We're not aware of it. We have unconscious beliefs, assumptions, and thought patterns going on that that we know nothing about. And all that affects our actions and our behaviors. So again, the more you can become present to what's actually going on with you and the more self-aware you are, the more you begin to really understand what's motivating you and driving your behaviors. And the more you can begin to modify that, if you so desire. We know all the ancient traditions speak of know thyself as the key to the temple. It's it's, it's the way to um, get in the driver's seat rather than being a passenger. What's the first steps towards getting there? Wow, I love that. Well, I think that um, some of the tools that we teach, which are about reducing that white noise in your brain and really tuning in uh, to what's going on with your mind and body. I mean, obviously, meditation is a primary path to that. Meditation doesn't work for everyone, so we teach alternative tools that kind of clear out that white noise. Some of the things that we use are are cognitive, some are uh, physical, and some are a combination. Would, would you mind, so we're all on the same page, what do you mean by white noise? Uh, white noise is just kind of, there's, there's all these 
thoughts that are, it's kind of, I'd call it sort of a low-level chatter or like static on a radio. It's going on in your head. It's all these, all those unprocessed uh, ruminative kind of thoughts. And our brains are made to ruminate. In fact, uh, some studies say that we spend as much as as uh, six out of the eight hours of work time actually in that ruminative uh kind of activity where you're not really that conscious of all the things that you're thinking. There's, there's worries about the future. There's regrets about the past. There's all kinds of miscellaneous thoughts floating through there that are not really part of what you're actively trying to do. They're just there in the background. And um, all that, that multitasking that you do during the day contributes to that. That's actually switch tasking. Switch tasking? What's that? That means you're actually switch. There, there isn't actually, we don't really multitask in that we're not actually doing all those tasks simultaneously. We're actually switching our attention to those tasks. And so every time you switch tasks, that leaves a little bit of a residue in your brain. And so it's a little bit less efficient, a little bit less efficient, a little bit less efficient every time that you switch. And also, and the, those those processes and the different things that you're focusing on begin to interfere with each other. Mm. Wow. Wow. I want to take up on that on the other side. And it is time for another commercial break. <laughs> so Nancy and I will return turn to our discussion on the other side of this break. Don't leave us. We're coming to you through the Exxon Broadcast Network. The Exxon is always on the leading edge of all things paranormal. You don't want to miss the other fine shows and hosts on xzbn.net. You're listening to The Science of Magic. We're your resource for creative solutions in a changing world. Love to get your emails. Please email me at info at thescienceofmagic.net. We'll meet you on the other side of the break. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. 
Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. We're speaking with Nancy Maxfield-Wilson, the founder of Max Performance, LLC, a resilience-building company. Her website, mymaxperformance.com. We were talking about uh, processing and how it, how it relates to our ability to um, go in the zone and to be present and to manage stress, for that matter, I would assume. How can we start to access all those processes? Like, I know my computer's slow to boot up, and when that's the case, I have to go behind the scenes to see what's actually running. So I know, well, I don't really need this, and I don't really need that, and I don't really need the next thing. I can shut those down so that the computer can speed up. How can we do that with ourselves? <laughs> that is a great question, Golda. So um, I think that there are some very simple, proven uh, mechanisms for doing that. Exercise is actually one of them. Um, and so there's uh, longer time uh, aerobic kind of exercise, which is well known to not only clear your head out, but also it lays down the tracks for more effective cognitive functioning. They've actually looked at studies uh, that look at both short-term and long-term benefits of exercise. Um, being, for a lot of people, connecting to nature helps clear that buffer out. Um, for a lot of people, um, it's, like I said, meditation, prayer, uh, tai chi, and yoga all have a beneficial and immediate short-term effect, as well as changing our brain structure in the long-term as well as changing the electrical activity in our brain. Uh, a lot of the patterns associated with stress, anxiety, and OCD are actually calmed by some of these activities. How, speak to OCD a little bit. Uh, well, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and that's where uh, people find themselves repeating certain behavior patterns even though they not, they're aware that those patterns uh, are not necessary and may not actually be serving them. They have a hard time controlling that impulse. Is it, is it a kind of a control disorder? In other words, aren't they trying to control themselves by, ha- by having these rituals? Yes, I, I think you're right. But um, I think the piece of this that I'm aware of is that... Uh, Uh, performing these activities can affect those electrical uh, impulses that correlate with those behaviors. So it's it's a a brain wiring issue. OCD? I'm wondering about, you know, if we have habitual patterns, isn't it a matter of having these burned neurological ruts that we have to overcome? Mm -hmm. You're right. I mean, what fires together wires together in neurological uh, terms. You're right. But the great news is there's newer studies coming out about neuroplasticity and neurogeneration. We used to think you're born with a certain brain, and once you burn those pathways in, you're stuck. You know, And that turns out to not be the case at all. So again, there's great reasons. Humans are so adaptable. There's great reasons to hope even if you do have a pattern that's maybe not adaptive, that we can change it. So how, let's talk about resilience and stress again. Um, do people that are resilient respond to stress differently than those that are not? Uh, yes, they do, actually. So uh, back to that kind of mindset idea, uh, people, uh, people that are resilient to stress, first of all, they may view 
a much higher level of stress as exciting or beneficial or uh, or producing performance. And um, there's some interesting uh, studies and a, actually a great TED Talk by Kelly McGonigal uh, that looks at what's the effect of, of actually reframing that stress as, as a positive, as a stimulant, as beneficial. And there, there are a lot of benefits to doing that. Uh, but nevertheless, at some point, that, that stress becomes, it, it definitely flips from exciting and energizing uh, and performance producing uh, into something that, that's uh, stressful and unpleasant. And at that point, uh, resilient people may do some reframing of it to, uh, to look at, you know, oh, this is only temporary. Oh, I have the resources to control this. Uh, I am I am accountable and in control of this. I'm going to try this. If that doesn't work, I'm going to try that. They tend to not become a victim and, and fall into blaming themselves. They'll keep pers- they'll persist in trying to solve the problem much longer than someone with uh, uh, a more limited mindset. So there's the learning mindset and then there's the fixed mindset. The learning mindset really allows one to persist and looks at failure as simply another challenge, and stress is a piece of that. Curiosity must play in. Absolutely. Uh, resilient people are more curious. It's that learning mindset, and um, they view uh, failure and uh, not knowing something as a challenge. Rerouting opportunity. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. So can we actually program our stress response in order to become more resilient? I believe we can, uh, Gwilda. Um, I think that, uh, and some of this is is uh, learning to do that and becoming more resilient is just like working out and practicing muscles. And so, uh, you know, or developing muscles, I'm sorry. Uh, you stress them mildly and stress them mildly, and they respond by rebuilding themselves even stronger. So I believe that uh, we can uh, develop that muscle by subjecting ourselves to maybe a little bit more milder challenges, but by deliberately doing that. And, and having curiosity actually is a way of doing that as well sometimes. Yeah, I'm always getting myself into deep water because of my curiosity. There's just no avoiding it, you know. <laughs> That's so what, excellent, you know. <laughs> what tools can you offer to manage stress? You were talking about uh, exercise and Tai Chi and mm-hmm. meditation. Is there something else we can do on a daily basis? Uh, actually, uh, some of the really easy things are things, and, and, and that have also been shown to have health benefits, uh, both in the short and long term, are things like a daily gratitude practice. So that's obviously, there's no physical component to that, but uh, the health benefits after as little as six weeks of practice have been shown. And so that's just finding three things that you're grateful for. They don't have to be huge. And just reminding yourself of that uh, either at the beginning or the end of the day or whenever it works for you. Um, There's also things like, it's called random acts of kindness. And they've done some really interesting studies that show that people who take care of others or give to others, although the beneficiary benefits quite a bit from that, the giver actually benefits even more. So making a regular practice of something that simple uh, is really associated with a long-term health benefits. That's crazy. 
Isn't it crazy? Because all of our, again, all of our traditions, whether shamanic or, or religious, um, have you know, provision for gratitude, for prayer, and for uh, service to others. Yeah, Se- well, that makes perfect like, sense, doesn't yeah, it? Seem, seems like they knew something we didn't. We're just figuring it out, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Duh. <laughs> we were talking There is a such little... a thing as being too left-brained, yes. <laughs> well, it's kind of magical, really, isn't it? Because there's really yes. no explaining it. We can say what, what happens chemically in the brain when you are grateful or this or that, but doesn't it really affect the mindset it does. I, I think that, um, again, that learning mindset, that abundance versus scarcity mindset is very much affected by that. But, you know, I don't even know if I feel like it's that mystical, Gwilda, because altruistic behavior has been shown again and again to, to be something we evolved with because it promotes the uh, propagation of the species. Mm. And you see that actually we're primates. You see that in a lot of primates where, and even even more than that beyond primates, animals taking care of animals, uh, of babies that are not their own for the good of the pack or the species. It seems like as a culture, we've kind of gotten away from that to our own detriment. <laughs> Would you speak to that? Mm-hmm. Uh, I totally agree with that. Um and what I'd say about that uh, is it's like, it, that's also a learned skill, learned abundance. It's like learned optimism. There were some really great studies in the 80s by someone called Martin Seligman, and he wrote a book called Learned Optimism, and then a lot, he wrote a lot about resilience. And, um, uh, but basically, it's yet another skill of, of learning to the glass is half full and learning to have an abundant mindset, uh, it, it builds on itself. And soon the people around you are those people that you've selected for uh, with that. And you begin to really build something larger than yourself. So is, is the abundant mindset what helps us be generous? Like there's enough to yes. go around? Yes, exactly. And, and, and so the idea is that by combining our efforts, uh, we build something even bigger and better and there's more for everyone. And I subscribe to that mindset uh, very, that's a lot what, of what my resilience model is about, is really uh, by creating that extra capacity in people and in individuals, collectively we all gain more. And there's so many challenges we need to deal with. We need all the capacity we can get. Yeah, we're definitely in kind of crisis times right now, aren't we? Yes, we are. How do you think? And, and so actually, can... go ahead. Uh, so actually, recently, uh, the American Psychological uh, Association does uh, releases an annual uh, Stress on America report, and so exactly as you say, Gwilda, um, they found stress to be significantly up as a result of uh, divisive politics, social media, and the 24-7 news feed. So we need resilience more than ever right now. And so much of it seems to be propaganda. And then also the consumerism piece. It it, uh, promotes the mindset of lack, doesn't it? Yes. Here we are at Christmas time, right? Right. I mean, I think that's been interesting because... uh, uh, 
as an entrepreneur, you're often encouraged to create a need for your services. And, and that's, that's tends to be couched in negative terms. Mm-hmm. So if I were to do that, I would, I would tell everyone how much they need my services because they're so stressed and life is horrible and et cetera, et cetera. And um, my choice to not do that has been very personal for me and instead preach a mes- message of how much, how much we've got this and how much we've naturally got going for us. Um, and that really is the abundance versus the scarcity mindset. And the marketing folks might tell me that that's all wrong, but that's just not my personal belief. Sounds like a major antidote to me. <laughs> you know, it, you know <laughs> why, not, why not create something that's needed versus a create a need for something you've already got? Yes. Well put. <laughs> <laughs> World would be a different place. I'm, I'm hoping to see that come around pretty soon. <laughs> We're going to have to take another another quick break. Um, on the other side of it, we're going to talk more about stress and um, uh, resiliency and how we can deal with both. But before we pause, let me remind you to check out the amazing upcoming Galactic Shamanism classes for both children and adults on www.findyourpathhome.com. Nancy and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is the Science of Magic, your resource to altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric working to create common ground for the betterment of our world. Join our email family to receive our amazing topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net. Earth is under ever-increasing pressure from untenable lifestyles and growing populations, yet viable answers seem in short supply. What if I told you there's an ancient form that can empower you to take charge of your life? What if your entire family could be enfolded and supported by life itself, finding safe passage through challenging times? I'm Gwilda Wiecka, founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Art School with Great News, an upcoming series of leading-edge online affordable classes based in an ancient form of shamanism easily learned and used by your entire family. Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow are a series of online adult and children's lessons instructing your entire family on natural law, how to cooperate with and be supported by the powers of the universe. Visit findyourpathhome.com to find these unique and powerful classes. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. 
Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Golda Wiecka. What's up in your world? I always love to hear from my listeners. Email me at info at thescienceofmagic.net and suggest a topic or a guess that's on your mind. You're probably not the only one interested. Speaking of gifted people of service to the world, our guest this hour is Nancy Maxfield-Wilson. She's the founder of Max Performance LLC, a resilience-building company. Her website, mymaxperformance.com. So we were going to talk a little bit more about stress and... Um, resiliency. And I want to ask you, Nancy, have you experienced, it's like sometimes it seems like people that are extremely resilient can take it to the extreme and hit a place of burnout that's kind of hard to come back from. Would you mind speaking to that? Hmm. Uh, well, I think I can speak to that personally. <laughs> I thought you might. What I've observed with some of my clients um, and my personal crisis came through being an athlete uh, and being uh, a high performance uh, in my job at the same time and simply pushing myself to the point where uh, I feel like not only was I experiencing burnout, but I had lost all empathy and uh, really connection with the right side of my brain. Uh, it was purely uh, performance and analytically driven. Um, and I think that for me personally, all that kind of, came to a crisis point on 9-11, actually. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, when, I, when you kind of, uh, you know, the, the events were so extreme that I think in a lot of us it really uh, forced a lot of deep thinking and self-evaluation. And in my case, I felt like my ladder was up against the wrong wall and I was disconnected from the people that mattered most on that day when all of a sudden technology uh, and everything ground to a halt and um, just feeling what was going on around me. Mm. Uh, all of a sudden, it was a big wake-up call. Where were you at 9-11? Uh, I was actually at work. I was in the process of hiring someone new and just going through kind of a normal day of, um, you know, very scheduled, very focused and intent. And um, uh, it was exactly one of those moments when time just slowed down. And um, it was this sort of out-of-body experience for me. Mm. It was an intense time for sure. I think it reframed a lot of our lives um, and has continued to do so. I would hope so, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When, when a resilient person burns out, is it more difficult for them to come back? Hmm. Um, I haven't observed that with the people that I've worked with, but say more about what maybe you've seen, Gwilda. Um, sometimes, you know, resiliency can be a double-edged sword. What I've seen is that sometimes the more resilient people get so used to being able to push the edge of the envelope that when something like that, the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, it's almost like a, a deep loss of confidence or something, and it's just hard to come back from. 
Mm, okay. Yeah, that makes some sense because you get so used to being so strong that when when things eventually do fail, you've never learned any mechanisms to come back from that. Mm-hmm. You know, which brings up another inter- interesting thing. What is the difference between resiliency and strength? Hmm. Well, to me, um, resiliency is more about that idea of of adapting and responding. Where whereas strength, I mean, I think strength is extremely valuable if it's not tempered with aware situational awareness. And it's uh, it's simply that ability to persevere and push on through anything. Uh, I, I would see resilience as more, uh, again, responding to effectively to the situation, whether that be with strength or, or some other response. So it's more self-aware. Yeah, well, you know, when I draw on resiliency, it, it feels more like a yielding than a fighting, you know, like a, a willow versus the oak kind of thing. Um, have you experienced <laughs> that, and why do you suppose it is? Yeah, yes. Absolutely. And, and what's interesting about that, Gwilda, is I think to some extent that is also a life wisdom kind of thing because I think those of us who are naturally strong uh, to start with and we're given that as a gift may come to rely only on that. And if you if you do that, eventually you're going to get broken against against the wall. Sometimes, as you say, the wiser thing is to yield and come back and fight another day or even uh, yield and flow into, it's like the idea of uh, some martial arts, rather than presenting a wall and a solid surface uh, for your adversary to strike, you flow into their movement and move with them and you learn something in the process. That seems like the most resilient of all, really, isn't it, is flowing with the power of life rather than trying to uh, work your will upon it. Yes, very much. And I think that's a little bit of an anti-Western mindset. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is one that I've had to learn and or unlearn and learn again, yeah. Yeah, you know, you see people in the worst circumstances, their bodies may be giving out, they may be very physically weak, even their minds might be slowing, but there's that certain something of their attitude with the world that keeps them up and running when more competent people, you know, physically and whatnot, aren't. Can you speak to that? I'm sorry, can you can you mm-hmm. rephrase the question? You know, we think of resiliency as someone that's in their prime. And you mentioned as we age, we need it more. But I've seen people that are aging that seemingly don't have a whole bunch going for them, extremely resilient and, and gracefully so. Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. do you suppose that is? Mm-hmm. I think, again, it, it's about, I mean, there is no really, there's no such thing as an objective reality because we all perceive reality through our set of filters. Um, and so someone who may not, to your eyes, have much materially, but to their own uh, perceptions, they feel, they feel grateful and fortunate and blessed. That's what matters is their perception of their reality, not yours. Um, and so people can actually materially have a lot and, and be relatively poor in spirit and and not very resilient or they can have a little and they can be very resilient and very happy it's really all about your perception about what you have and whether you feel fortunate or not 
Once again, there we go to gratitude and mindset, huh? Yep. <laughs> what role does resilience have in maximizing performance? That seems to be your business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think um, the ability to be resilient, so, so very resilient people have greater self-awareness, that optimistic mindset, persistence. Uh, they also have a sense of, pur- of purpose and their values. Uh, that all lends itself to kind of that positive visualization, uh, confidence that, that they can complete the task, ability to really focus and visualize on the task. Um, and some of these little tricks I've mentioned, if you're talking about professional performance, for example, allows them to reset themselves in the middle of challenging circumstances and continue to perform at that high level. And that applies to athletics as well, um, is that ability to check yourself, reset yourself if, if necessary, and then go on to perform at a very high level. You said a word that I find very interesting in this conversation, purpose. What part does purpose pay, play in resiliency? It's huge. Being aware of your purpose, and, and by purpose, it doesn't have to be something with a capital P that, that lasts for your entire lifetime. In fact, for most of us, our pur- purpose changes substantially throughout our life cycle. But there have been lots of research to show um, that having a purpose not only makes you more resilient because it anchors you in times of adversity and it gives you a constant in your life and a reason for enduring, it also has long-term health benefits. In fact, it may even help ward off dementia and Alzheimer's. And yet so many of us seem purposeless uh, like we've been conditioned into being automatrons almost. How can a person find purpose? I think understanding, there's some simple things. Why? Do, what gets you up in the morning? Uh, what taps into your emotions? Um, how does what you do on a daily basis relate to your values, which is kind of another deep-seated uh, uh, set of principles and ideas that you develop and that you optimally would govern your life by. So we do a lot of work with purpose and values and how that helps you prioritize and organize your life. Um, and so those things really do help anchor you in times of adversity and challenge and change. All right. Sounds like it takes you right back to digging around and finding out about yourself. Yep, self-awareness, exactly, <laughs> yep. And we've gone full circle. So we're just about out of time. If you were to say one quick thing to start a person on this path of resiliency, what would it be? Wow, resilience is really the difference between thriving versus just surviving in our world. And I'd really encourage you to just start with a few small practices. Uh, we talked about many of them today. And start yourself on that journey, and as you succeed, it'll just grow itself, and you'll Mm -hmm. be off. (laughs) Thank you so much. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Nancy, it's been a blast working with you. Oh, you too, Gwilda. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. (laughs) Our guest this hour has been Nancy Maxfield-Wilson, the founder of Max Performance LLC, a resilience-building company. Her website, mymaxperformance.com. This has been The Science of Magic. Join our email family to stay abreast of the exciting new things we have coming up at thescienceofmagic.net. 
Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you embrace resilience. 